0: Hi, I'm Kate Carrigan, and this podcast is being made on the land of the Gadigal people of the Aura Nation. Now, as ever, I pay my respects to the elders, past, present and emerging. Are you battling with loneliness, seclusion, feeling unsure about the future? Well, you're not alone. Lots of people are feeling the same. This time on Croaky Voices, mental health in the time of COVID-19.
1: Anxiety's up, and people are reporting that they're starting to struggle with how to cope with this, if this is the long term situation.
0: Also, well, what do you think about the COVID tracking app? Is it going to deliver what the Prime Minister is promising a return to regular life or a quicker return to regular life? And we drop in on a centre providing food and friendship in these strange times.
2: Most people are just lonely. Coming to the market is often the only thing that people do during their day to make it filled with joy and just respect. I think it's really important.
0: Lots of us are battling with feelings of helplessness and anxiety as we cope with job insecurity and social isolation in the time of COVID-19. And even as infection rates go down, mental health experts like Professor Ian Hickey from the Brain and Mind Centre at the University of Sydney are warning of a second, longer and deeper curve in the demand for services, saying working from home, feeling unsure of the future and not being able to catch up with friends as before have taken a toll.
1: In result is is up and people are reporting that they're starting to struggle with how to cope with this if this is the long-term situation.
0: And what about for those who are already dealing with mental illness? There is access to telehealth, but, but what's the impact of being cut off from that face-to-face care for those most at risk?
1: If you're already anxious, if you're already seeking care, then actually access to care and concerns have gone up. Now it is interesting Acute presentations to emergency departments and seeking emergency care in mental health has gone down, just like it has in the rest of healthcare. But we're actually concerned that we're losing contact with people who really do need care and would benefit from care. On the other side of the coin, we are seeing people use new helplines and old existing helplines. And the introduction of telehealth items has been a very important change. This is probably one of the most important changes taking place. People are finding it easier to actually be in contact. They're not having to travel to clinics. The clinic times are often at their convenience in their own home. The cost associated with it is lower. Many services are reporting that actually more people are keeping their appointments and more people are seeking care. I think we've always known that the potential demand for services in mental health is large and not being met. And the use of these new technologies may actually allow us to meet more of that demand right across Australia. Less barriers by where you live, less barriers by cost, less barriers by travel, and hopefully fewer waiting lists and barriers to care than there have been in the past.
0: So there could be an upside there. Now, you are speaking before about school children. They're facing conflicting views now on returning to school. How can they, and particularly the Year 12 students, be helped to cope with their anxiety? I think we're
1: seeing right around the country a real concern about schools from two points of view. One is, of course, is there a real health risk? On the other side, people are well aware that school is so important to the social and emotional development of kids, not just the learning bit. But the other bit of school is really around social and emotional development and at key stages. So the year 11-12 disruption, the disruption of both social development and the completion of that academic cycle is potentially very disruptive. Well, there's
0: been a lot of talk over a lot of years now about improving the amount of resources that go into mental health. Do you think it's going to be even more crucial now, given the uncertain times and the fact that young people may be facing very high unemployment and uncertainty and general the general uncertainty in the community?
1: This is a critical time for mental health. In fact, the groups I'm associated with, we would say there's a second curve coming in mental health. If this is prolonged and disruptive. And just like we've seen flattening the curve for infection, we need to flatten the curve for mental health impacts. You know, the mental health sector was already incredibly stretched before this happened. You can imagine that if there's a significant increase in demand, which would be what everyone would predict at the moment, and that demand will also happen, particularly in rural and regional Australia, it will particularly happen amongst those who are most disadvantaged. This will require substantial and smart investments in mental health services. And you know, we need to be just as blunt as people have been in the physical health sector. That's like how many ICU beds, how many ventilators, et cetera. We need to say how many acute services, what kind of services where, in order to be the safety net, while the other social and economic and educational policies are put in place. We need to use what is currently available, new technologies, but do it smart.
0: We are now seeing across the country restrictions being lifted. People are going to be able to go out and do things more socially. Are there challenges in transitioning out from this lockdown world that we've been living in?
1: A reduction in the social distancing rules immediately will allow people to connect better with other social relationships. Very good for mental health. Secondly, there is the issue of getting back into this regular daily cycles, our own body clock, the way we get up, the way we perform. We often say in mental health, you don't get well to go to work, you go to work to get well. It helps you maintain your routines, your productivity, your sense of well-being. Getting outside, getting outside in sunlight in the morning, getting out of the physical, natural world are all important. I think the difficulty will arise if we have a lot of off, on, off, on. We have to keep adapting to changes in the COVID-19 situation. And this is, of course... The reality, none of us knows what happens next. So I think people are also trying to think about what are the more sustainable changes. I'm one of those people that thinks we should have had information about where clusters of COVID-19 were happening. Was it a real threat in their area, in which case the social lockdown laws need to be tight and enforced or not so big a threat? And that actually it might make more sense for there to be less restriction. And in a sense, we're seeing this now state by state.
0: Well, could the COVID safe tracking app actually help in that situation in providing more information?
1: I think you're seeing the immediate rapid uptake, which has obviously surprised government and surprised many people, the extent to which people have taken it up. People want to be active. They're quite happy to use new technologies when there is a point to it.
0: Is there an upside to all of this, a more reflective community as shown by by things such as Stand at Dawn at the Anzac Day gatherings? We can become a more healthy society
1: crises of any sort have the potential to bring a society together or to test how intact the social fabric of that society is. I actually think out of the challenge, not that you'd ever choose to go down this path, an emphasis on the importance of social cohesion for mental health and for productive communities, an emphasis on a mature relationship with governments that actually back what everybody needs, education, healthcare, social support, and an inclusiveness. So, In a funny way, despite all the challenges, there may emerge a better understanding of how much our mental health and well-being is so central to the quality of our lives.
3: Hello, I'm Tony Clarkson and I'm the Principal Clinical Advisor at the Victorian Responsible Gambling Foundation.
0: Tony, there have been reports of a big spike in online gambling in recent weeks, some as high as 70%. Do you think this is being driven by social isolation?
3: I think in part social isolation is playing a role in this. I think in particular for people who might previously have gambled on products or events which are no longer happening then I think what is happening is quite a lot of people are looking for other ways to to meet the urge that comes with gambling.
0: Do you think that loneliness and anxiety can also lead to increased online gambling?
3: Oh absolutely so As well as being a, I think, recognised public health issue, gambling harm and gambling addiction is also a, a mental health disorder or condition. And some of the issues that are attendant with mental health conditions, like gambling addiction, are high prevalence mental health issues, such as depression and anxiety. Now, depression and anxiety are exacerbated by loneliness and isolation. And when we're talking about people who have an addiction, then quite often what can happen is that the the loneliness and the depression or the anxiety can lead somebody to seek solace or to self-soothe with gambling. And then the gambling and the outcomes of the gambling, sometimes financial, sometimes relationship uh, issues, then can give rise to increased depression and anxiety and therefore more kind of cyclical kind of symptoms that go round and round. So it's a kind of cause and effect cycle, really.
0: So a a vicious circle. And are you finding that more people are reaching out for help?
3: No, we're not. And part of the reason for that is, uh, I mean, I think our national helpline has seen in the first few weeks of lockdown, has seen a, a reduction in the number of people who've called by about 10%. And I think really what's happening there is while people are moving at different speeds in terms of their capacity to understand what is going on in the world at the moment and their willingness to tolerate what the impact of that is on them, their families. I think people are trying to do all they can to attend to the basics. So whether that's making sure that there's food in the fridge and the kids are fed, or whether it's looking for a new job, I think people are trying to attend to those things first. So I think that's probably part of the reason why there's been a a slight reduction in the number of people who are looking for help for gambling at the moment.
0: Is this a real worry then that it could snowball and uh, by the time people do reach out for help it's going to be even more difficult to counter?
3: What we're trying to do at the moment in terms of uh, the service system that we fund is obviously shift to alternative ways that people can get help. So we're trying to maintain a basic service and that is uh, telephone and online or or video counselling in order that there isn't like you describe a sort of snowball or avalanche effect in terms of people looking for help when this is all over, whenever that might be, what we're trying to do is maintain a basic service as we go so that hopefully people do start to come back and do start to realise that we're still open for business. And that we're still able to provide free counselling where previously it was face-to-face counselling between the hours of nine and five. Now looking at providing telephone or online counselling outside of those hours as well, because we recognise that, you know, people are maybe not able to find somewhere quiet or private at home to have a quite confidential and difficult discussion, maybe where there's children or partners in the house. So we're trying to maintain a service as we go and make sure that everybody knows that we're still able to, to offer the support that people need.
0: What did you think of the Prime Minister's comments earlier this week that downloading the COVID Safe app could mean a quicker return to our pre pandemic lives?
3: This is the ticket to ensuring that we can have eased restrictions. And Australians can go back to the lifestyle and the many things that they previously were
4: able to do.
0: Infectious diseases physician and advisor for Futurewise Australia, Trent Yarwood.
4: I think it's important not to put, um, you know, too much faith in how effective this app is going to be. Certainly, by itself, it's not going to it's not going to be a, a ticket to freedom, if you like. Um, I think it's it's quite you know, misleading and potentially dangerous as, as not the prime minister, but some other people have said is that, you know, we, this is kind of could be like a, a ticket out of, out of isolation, if you like, you know, you can't, you can go back to the footy if you've got the app installed. I don't, think that it's that effective and I I think you know that it's quite misleading to suggest that it could actually work like that.
0: Could it actually be dangerous then do you think in making people more um, complacent?
4: Some people have expressed that as a concern but to be honest I think that's just as overblown as the fears about it as well. On balance it is likely to be helpful but it's not going to be the, the be all and end all.
0: Well, some people have said it won't make up for the, the other contact traces. the people who actually get out and they do the phone calls, they do the door knocks. What do you say to that?
4: Absolutely. Look, it'll make their job easier by potentially giving them better access to lists of contacts. It's very, very difficult for people to remember everyone that they've been in contact with. So it will certainly uh, make their job easier. In some sense, it'll obviously create extra work because when you say, oh, well, you know, I went to the shops and I, I saw this friend of mine, there's probably a lot of people who you have seen during the course of a day who you don't know. And obviously this the, the app is going to help you identify those people. The other advantage of old-fashioned contact tracing if you like is that it's an opportunity for the public health staff to actually interact with the person who's being screened or traced and actually provide them with some health information it's an opportunity to answer questions to address concerns and to do some health promotion and so the app doesn't obviously help with that side of things it's just a tool to increase the list of names that the contact tracers have got.
0: no doubt we'll be hearing some reaction from users in the next few weeks if you've got something to tell us please reach out tweet me at croaky voices or contact us through croaky.org. Now for a postcard. This one from a food rescue service that operates in Sydney's East.
2: My name's Eliza Vandersman and I'm one of the managers at Old Harvest Market. We're a market that runs in Kensington. It's a free supermarket for vulnerable people and it's a place where we offer dignity, autonomy and respect to those who would often be turned away from regular supermarkets or people that potentially might not have the financial means to access all of those. Great groceries that we take for granted at a regular supermarket. So, Oz Harvest is a food rescue charity, and we have many partners and many donors around all of Australia. With COVID 19, we've had to change our model quite a bit. So, previously, we had a supermarket that had a community room, we've had to shut that down, and we also have to shut the actual supermarket so that we can just turn it into a hamper system. The hampers that we've been making, we try to focus a lot on nutrition, fresh vegetables and fresh fruit, and supplementing that additionally with meat, milk, eggs, bread, anything that is a staple due to a lot of things, such as panic buying. We haven't been able to get as much necessity food that we had hoped. But we've been really lucky with support from different people in our community who are donating lots of food from cafes that have unfortunately shut down we've been getting a lot of those donations and that's been fantastic we regularly serve around 250 to 300 people but what we have seen is that we have different customers so we've got people who are students people who are from overseas who probably don't have access to Centrelink stimulus so we do have a lot of people that are new to our environment because they are only needing to seek food refuge now due to lack of work. We're giving people the respect that they haven't been able to access in other places. These people are just like you and me and I think that that is really important especially in a time where we are social distancing or physical distancing. Most people are just lonely and I think that That makes it important, that makes it special. Coming to the market is often the only thing that people do during their day, and whether that be myself or my volunteers or the customers. So to make that experience, the one experience that they are leaving their homes, To make it filled with joy and just respect, I think it's really important.
0: And you can find out more or volunteer by ringing OzHarvest. That's it for Croaky Voices this time around. Remember, if you're enjoying what you hear, please like us, follow and share. And you can even leave a review. And remember to check out all our stories at croaky.org. And think about subscribing for just $60 a year to help fund the health stories we love to bring to you. And remember, you can get Croaky Voices wherever you get your podcasts.